This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Now, that is a, that this, we're about to get to a location and a place where, let me say a couple of things. First of all, before the flood, which happened, and remember in Genesis chapter one, God separated the water from dry land, and um, and then he uh, created the firmament and, and made a place for us to live in between the surface of the earth and uh, space out there. He made us a vault to live in. That's what a firmament is described as. He made us a vault to live in, and uh, that place is unique. <clears throat> it's. I was watching one of the things, I was watching a science thing last night even, and uh, it was talking about the only place in our solar system, where there is a uh, where there's a atmosphere that would even be remotely like our atmosphere, is actually a moon of Saturn, and but it's so far away that it's a negative two hundred degrees, and that would we thought it was cold here for a little bit, or some of the people that have been on Facebook have been talking about how cold it is. That's real cold. I'm not sure I want to live in a place where the average temperature is negative two hundred degrees. That I don't know if I can get my car cranked in that type of temperature. But anyway, the place where God made us to live was a very unique place, and that place was changed during the flood. The flood changed it, and anytime you have a major flood in an area, things change. Rivers change. Streams change. The landscape can be eroded away and changed. I'm of the opinion that rather than rather than over millions and millions of years, that the Grand Canyon was likely cut in a matter of days and weeks as the water receded from the flood. And uh, and if you see how almost all of the drainage of the southwestern United States would go through that area, would head through that little area of our country, you can see how the intense pressure of a great flood would cut a high gorge like the Grand Canyon. And let me say this, I've been in places where, where floods happened. I can remember going down and working working after Katrina came through, and we weren't working in New Orleans. We were actually working in Mississippi, where the true worst part of the storm surge and the actual worst part of the winds came through, and the storm surge so far up that it surged over and past a railroad head. It was a, a railroad that ran probably about a half mile uh, off of the coast, maybe even a mile off the coast. And the railroad tracks were 20, 10, 15, 20 feet at places higher than the ground around it. And that storm surge surged over those railroad tracks and surged into the area behind it. And when that water was released, it cut some huge, I mean, caused some huge problems because of the storm surge and that water flowing back out to the ocean 
right after the storm surge hit. And so when we when we were down there, I just saw some amazing things. And it's amazing what nature can do in a matter of moments and seconds with tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and things like that. And you say, why are you telling me all this? I'm telling you all this is because the earth that we're living on and the land mass that we're living on is not the same as it was 6,000 years ago. It's not the same it, the planet is not set up the same. But now you say, what are the differences? I don't know what the differences are. I can't tell you. It's kind of like you say, well, how long is was it between verse 1-1 and verse 1-3 in Genesis chapter 1? I, I don't know. I don't know how long that is. And I, the Bible doesn't tell us that there were God made the earth and he caused the seas to recede from the land and there were six continents. He didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't tell us where everything was. He doesn't give us a map. And I know you you have a map in your Bible. You have maps all in the front and the back of your Bible. And when you're bored during worship, sometimes you turn to those maps and look at them. And trust me, I know because I have looked at the maps many times when I was growing up. And so not that I was bored during worship, I just was interested. And the, the face of the earth and how things are is totally different than it was back then. Now, is it completely, everything's totally, completely different? Don't know. Not sure. Do know that there were two rivers that we know about. Do know that there were two rivers that we for sure knew about. And those rivers are the Tigris and Euphrates, and they're mentioned here. But the other two rivers are not really known. They don't exist anymore. They're not there anymore. And you go, does that disprove the Bible? No, it doesn't. There's plenty of times where you'll have a river or a stream or you'll have this or that, and then it goes away. It doesn't exist anymore. It becomes a swamp or it becomes the landscape changes, or maybe <clears throat> it was fed from, a, fed from a, uh, a chamber under the earth and water was coming up and that stopped for some reason because something's happened. I don't know if you know it or not from a modern perspective, but the reason we moved away from calling things global warming and global cooling, because by the way, in the 1970s and early 80s, the major worry for the world was that, that we were about to go into an ice age and we were going to have global cooling. And then they realized, uh-oh, that we can't really prove that by science. And then we went into the ozone was being destroyed and we were going to be fried to death. And then we had the global warming ideas and, uh-oh, we can't really prove that totally because we went through 10, 15 years hit over the last 10 or 15 years and it's not warmed up we can test and it's not really warming the way we said it was warming and so now it's climate change and everything there the climate is changing and boy that's an excellent scientific way of describing what's going on because yes I'm going to tell you, there is climate change going on it's been going on for 6,000 years and climates do change all the time all the time. They get hotter, warmer. It places places a change because of this, that, and the other. And and by the way, not necessarily because humanity did anything. Humanity does do things and tear things up and mess things up, but that doesn't mean that climate change is taking place. So when it says the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed, we don't know where Eden is. We, we don't have a firm foundation as to where Eden is. I have uh, two ideas as to the location of Eden. The, my thoughts are Eden is in two locations. That being said, if I told you that Eden was in those two locations, I'm telling you from looking backward, a 6,000-year perspective looking backward on something that, I, that there's just no way to know 
what the earth looked like. There's no way to know what what things were and how things were. How many times have you watched, been watching something on, on the History Channel or Science Channel or something like that? And they say, this area and this a huge area of the world, they say, this used to be a shallow sea. I, it could be. It, that's very possible. And uh, we don't know. And they say over 10 million years ago, this was a shallow sea. It could have been 10 million years ago. It could have been 6,000 years ago. We're not sure. Don't know that for sure. Can't prove it for sure. But they probably are right. There probably was a shallow sea there at some point in time. And there probably was a pond there. And there probably was a mountain there at some point in time. And maybe in that certain locale on the earth, this or that or the other was there. And to tell you the truth, I have no idea. I don't know where Eden is. He said, but he put man there whom he'd formed. Now, the main thing I want you to do is notice that God had a plan for man after he made him. He he didn't just make man and go, wow, look at that. There he is, man and woman. And we just got a man and a woman. And there they are. We're just going to kind of let them wander around and play Pac-Man on the earth and just see where they go. That's not how God made it. God, that's not how God operates. That's not how God functions. It's not how God functions for us. He's he's not looking at you. And so many times in life, we feel like that's how God's doing things. He's looking at us and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're all up there with the angels in a big old crowd. And they're watching us laughing and amazed exactly what we're going to do next. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. God knows exactly what he's planned for you. He knows exactly how you're going to react to every situation. He is, he's all knowing. He's, he knows everything and he has a plan for everything and he's planned for you. And that's quite clearly a fundamental of scripture is that God is omnipotent. He knows everything and his knowledge his knowledge is not is not overcome by your will, and your will is known by him also. Your personality, your character, how you deal with certain situations, your flaws, and there, there is no hiding from God. We cannot hide from him, and when we're one of his, we're in his love, and his love uh, is at the heights of the highest mountain, and it's at the depths of the deepest sea. If we go to the other side of the moon, God is still there, and his love is still there for us. And God had a plan for man, and he planted him in the garden. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice what he did. He said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick a scrub oak. I'm not choosing that. I'm not doing that. When we first moved in our house over here in Stillwaters, there was we cleaned out the front of the yard up there where the trees were. And uh, and there was a there was a bush tree something like that called the devil's thorn or something that's what jason called it anyway he called it the devil's something and let me tell you something it was from the devil there's no doubt about that i'm quite sure that jason was absolutely right in the name because those thorns were as long as my fingers and they hurt so yeah that it was not a good tree it was a it was a, a devil's thorn it was something like that anyway and it was not pleasing at all to see, to cut down, to touch in any way. There was nothing pleasing about it. Notice God didn't put that in the garden. He said, and out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And there was no food on the devil's thorn tree. It wasn't. No food on it. And notice God provided all that they needed to eat. He provided all that they were going to have to eat. They didn't have to They didn't have to eat of any singular tree. God had provided for them an abundance. And I want you to understand that. 
God's desire is for you to live in abundance. But the abundance is not necessarily food. The abundance is not necessarily clothes. The abundance is not necessarily you're going to have 12 cars. The abundance is not necessarily you're going to have a villa in France. But the abundance is the abundance of him and his creation. And God does desire for you to have an abundance. He does desire for you to have an abundance of what's going on in your life and what's going on around you and opportunities to see his hand at work around you. And he wants when you eat, remember, eating is a picture of fellowship all the time in the Bible. He wants you to have an abundance of fellowship, an abundance of fellowship with him, an abundance of fellowship with everyone else. And these trees that he planted in the garden were important. Now, there he also planted the tree of life. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also in the midst of the garden. Let me deal with that because this is very important for the future. There's two trees in the garden. And there's two ways There's two ways to God. And when I say there's two ways to God, one of them we can't go down that way because we can't live up to the standard. And the other way is the only way that has been made for us. And those two ways are these. The first one is the law. And the Old Testament's all about the law. And uh, the Old Testament's about the knowledge of good and evil. That is what the law is. The law defines what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. The law says, do not do this, do that. These are the things that the, these, this is the way to live. The problem with the law is that the law is not possible for us. It's not a it's not a reasonable or even possible path for us to live as far as to live it perfectly in a way so that we can get to the very, very best that God has made us for. It, it's not possible for us. It's not a way that we can go. Okay. It's a schoolmaster. It, it reveals to us the holiness of God. It reveals to us the character of God. It reveals to us the nature of God. And so when we read here that God put in the garden a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what he said is he put in there a source by which you could know what right and wrong was. Now, man didn't know what right and wrong was because man lived in right relationship with God in the garden. And God's desire was not that man should live by rules, but that man should live in relationship with him. God's desire is that man should walk with him. See, now, the rules don't the rules don't go away when we walk in a relationship with God because we're walking with the source of those rules. But the way in which we walk changes. And it's all and what happens is that God, in the context of a relationship with him, teaches us to walk in the ways of righteousness and holiness. Now, does that mean that does that mean that we we follow a bunch of rules and God tells us a bunch of rules to follow? No. What it means is we seek after the heart of God and the heart of God leads us into everything that's good and right in life. The heart of God leads us to who we should be and how we should live. And that is the context God wants us to live in. Now, the tree of life is, in my opinion, it's Jesus. He is the other way. He's the way of grace. He's the way of mercy. He's the way of He's the way of power. He's the way of love. He's the light and the life of the world, as John would say. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus described himself. He is a way. He is a way to holiness, but he is the way to holiness for us because man cannot live by his own holiness alone. He cannot function or survive on his own without 
that way. And that way is the context of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so when we read in, in Genesis, and just looks like I'm going to get two verses again today. When we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, that God made two trees in the garden, I want you to think of them as two pathways. One pathway is by the law, and the other pathway is by the tree of and and the choice of what to eat, how to walk in the fellowship that God has given us or God had given them in the garden was given to them. And it was a choice. It was a choice to choose to walk with the tree, walk in, in the life that God had given them, or to walk in, in the knowledge of good and evil. And the knowledge of good and evil, by definition, is the law. The law is, uh, is the revelation of that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is good and that which is evil. And so when you read the knowledge of the good and evil, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I always want you to think of the law. I always want to think of you to think of rules. And when you do that, when you come to the place where you see that and do that, when you do that, you will see that God has provided us a better way. And the better way is the tree of life, who is Jesus. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so man's going to have that choice. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.